Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm creator producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV awards editor Libby Hill, and no, Ben Travers on vacation. What a dummy. On today's episode, we'll be talking about all these media conglomerates and joining forces, maybe talking about a friend's reunion when Ben's not here. Oh yeah, we're gonna go deep on that. And Libby and I will be joined by Amber Ruffin of the Amber Ruffin Show to talk about her show, to talk about Late Night with Seth Meyers, to talk about her history uh, in comedy, Boom Chicago, Chicago, all of it. And then finally, I'll bring, I'll be getting around to my mayor, murder, power rankings. It was a big week. Big week rough for one the mayor, this week, Leo. Murder, power rank. Yeah, rough one. My, uh, my number one might've gone down. With a bullet, would you say? It is a millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Libby, this week it was announced that AT&T would be selling its Warner Media package to Discovery. It bought the whole Warner Media juggernaut for $85 billion back in 2018 and is turning around and selling it for $43 billion to Discovery. Seems like a loss. Uh, just based on normal math. Which we know doesn't really apply in Hollywood. But still, yeah, it feels like they kind of took a bath on Warner Media. <laughs> they got bigger fish to fry. They got to get 5G up around the nation. <laughs> oh, yeah, this was a wild one, Leo. Uh, this was started percolating over the weekend. And, and on Monday, just everything fell into place. And then all of a sudden... Uh, this merger, this 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 acquisition took place, and uh, I was reading on Variety that apparently the process began like February thirteenth. So here we are, three months later, and the deal is done. And and it's it's wild to me. Uh, I am not the acquisitions expert on the podcast. That would be the role that we force Ben into. But uh, it 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 is very strange on the surface, I guess, to imagine discovery buying hbo because as we're if we're thinking about uh just on the basis of uh, television prestige um that feels backwards it feels as though nat geo bought disney and while those are not similar situations at all on the very surface understanding of of or surface perception of tv that is more accurate but um yeah, the spheres the spheres of influence seem to be out of whack when one thing is is acquiring the other. When you have Discovery, which which is a is a healthy sort of stable of of networks and 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 IP. When you have like HGTV, Food Network, Oprah Winfrey, Animal Planet, and the actual Discovery Channel itself is acquiring HBO, Warner Brothers, and DC, Cartoon Network, Adult Swim. Uh, what am I missing? Cinemax. Uh, Cinemax. <laughs> like yeah. I, I, that might be a, a lesser one, but like the the idea is like that. That is a huge, a huge uh, stable of of movies and television that dis- that Discovery is is, is acquiring. It, um, it it is, but if we look at it, and and we we rave all the time about the <clears throat> the Warner Library. Yeah. But what what we overlook in that, and what happens so often with uh, re- let's call it reality TV, I would guess that Discovery has a lot more viewers than. Warner does um, because it's it's coming with your basic cable. Like how many of you, your parents just keep HGTV on all day or, uh, or, or yeah, no, exactly. Or, or TLC or something like that. Like it's, it's animal plan discovery channel because it's that 
innocuous sort of, uh, you're never really going to get pushed back. There isn't going to suddenly be boobs or uh, uh, swearing, like if no one keeps HBO on all day. Um, but it's, it's, that's not how we perceive it. And um, I still don't know what to make of this. I don't know what's happening with Warner. I don't know what's happening with AT&T. Um, and I don't know what this means for anyone. I, I do know that I feel bad for the people at Warner Media just because it's been a real, a real tough uh, 18 months to 18 to 24 months for them. I can't imagine the upheaval they have felt and gone through. Uh, but all hail Warner Discovery, apparently. Another uh, user has joined the chat. <laughs> it's been a weird. It, it's been a weird week across the board. Uh, let's say specifically for HBO properties. Yeah. Uh, but it has been Upfronts week. Um, we're getting a real picture of what the upcoming season of TV is going to be. But I, I just have to say that most of the biggest news is coming out of HBO. Yes, uh, great segue, as it were. Uh, HBO Max announced uh, at their upfronts, or Warner's upfronts, that there'll be a ad-supported version of HBO Max for $9.99 a month. So you'd save $5 a month off the current $14.99 price point uh, to get ads inserted into Sopranos, I guess, at points that were never meant to be. I'm so confused by this move. Uh, Leo, like, I... I don't really understand it at all. Um, how do you feel about it? I don't like it. I think I, I don't like when ads are inserted in anything that didn't have them before. I think that's that's the issue. And maybe they won't. Maybe they'll do it all up top. Like if you want to watch Sopranos, you have to sit through two and a half minutes of ads first, which maybe would work. But if they do it incrementally the way that, say, like most Internet video uh, places do it. Where it's just like, you've been watching for 15 minutes. You got to get served an, an ad of some kind. Uh, right. I think that'll be a disservice to all the amazing Warner Media content that there is. I guess the key here is to not, first of all, not look at it as though it's just HBO, which is what I tend to do. Um, there's plenty of stuff on Warner Media that was made to have ads naturally inserted into it. Um, I'll talk a little more about one of those a little later. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know where you put support ads in the sopranos uh i i guess at the beginning like it's a youtube video yeah uh, like you in order to see your program you have to sit through that i can't imagine like being in the middle of a tony and melfi therapy session and then i have to watch a 40 or an, a minute long ad for ford trucks like it, it doesn't feel like that's going to enhance the experience uh they are saying that the abs will be the least at least obtrusive uh, currently in streaming. I don't know what that means. There's no details on how long these ad breaks will be. I just don't see enough value in it. And I've always been a person who opts to pay a little more to see, to see it without ads. That's that's why Hulu without ads is the best deal in, in TV for me. Yeah. And I just don't think... I think the price point is a problem. If they had lowered it to a place where it was the same price as other... Like, it was comparable to what people might spend on Disney or, or, or something per month, but like still being more expensive than much of their competition feels like a really weird choice to put your ad full programming. The yeah. other thing about the HBO experience is that 
HBO never had ads. HBO had ads for itself. Like it, 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 it was never shilling, um, you know, popcorn or or laxatives or, or any of that. It was also always just a very pure cable product, and that was part of the prestige, part of the part of the whole experience, part of why you paid money to have HBO. And yeah. um, I don't know. I don't. I understand it. I don't think I like it. That said, there are, yeah, so as that- I mentioned shows in the library that that are are natual conduits to have ad breaks built in um those old classic Libby, sitcoms you are a master of the segways I, I know baby you are, i know you are a master of the segways oh yeah like i have this all laid out in my head i could never commit it to paper <laughs> but like i i can see it all uh something like friends uh, you say like there's there are going to be natural places to pop ad breaks into into shows like that. Um, so I guess all the more or less reason to revisit that NBC classic. Yeah. Uh, again, news news released at the upfronts, and I think a little bit before because they released that teaser trailer uh, that had the slowed down version of the theme song with the cast uh, walking away in, in slow motion. The news from from the Warner Media upfronts that. Uh, you know, James Corden is going to host the Friends reunion, that there's going to be uh, guest stars that are going to be reappearing, that there's going to be a fashion show. What is this thing? And why is Ben going to watch it a bunch? <laughs> ben has a child's affection to Friends, uh, probably similar to my affection for something like Roseanne, although Roseanne is better mm-hmm. than Friends. Uh, mm-hmm. give or take the racism, um, classism, <laughs> you know, Roseanne notwithstanding. I think some of that stuff is also present in Friends. Well, you know, the, the, there, it is, a, it does take place in an alt universe where New York is inhabited entirely by white people. I, I mean, I think a lot of people relate to Friends. Um, what's interesting to me is oftentimes when people are talking about shows that they revisit and binge, I don't hear them talk about Friends very much. Uh, that may be internal bias. It feels like it's like The Office, the NBC, the other NBC comedies, like 30 Rock, things like that. But I I, I don't know where Friends fits in that. And I think part of that is, a te- is because we don't know how to watch multicam sitcoms anymore unless you were like really into big bang theory it's it's hard and i hear from people like i don't understand this laugh track or i don't understand having an audience like it feels really weird um i don't know friends if friends is is super susceptible to that but i i think it definitely could be an element and i'm not excited about this friends reunion um (laughs) warner media definitely seems to be it was supposed to happen yeah. Uh, it was supposed to be coupled with its launch last year, 13 months ago, mm-hmm. and it wasn't because thanks, pandemic. Um, so now we're getting it and hope you like James Corden. It does kind of feel like, hey, we promised you this thing a long time ago and we're going to give it to you still. Even though I don't think, aside from the, the bends of the world, anyone would have been like, oh, it makes they were going to do it and then pandemic hit and they didn't do it. But I, I still got HBO Max because I wanted to watch, you know, Mayor of Easttown. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, <laughs> I wanted to watch The Undoing. I wanted to watch all the movies. I, so I got HBO Max. Um, watch fucking Hacks. Yeah, it's like, I didn't need, I don't, I don't need this Friends reunion to get me to, to get HBO Max. Yeah. Um, but maybe I'm in the minority. Maybe there's a large percentage of people that will, will get HBO Max solely to view this reunion. Well, I'm sure the basics. 
Um, but, but the, I think the question for me is, I, I guess I'm wondering, and this is really shady, and I, and I see that, uh, what else would they be doing that they couldn't have a reunion? I mean, Shots I fired. can name one person actively employed in a regular role in a TV series. I don't know if I can do that for any other friend. Uh, and now moving on to our interview with Amber Ruffin. She was uh, gracious enough to spend uh, a little time with Libby and I talking about her time in, in writer's rooms uh, and really played it down. But she's super talented, super funny, and, and just the best. Without further ado, here's that interview. This week on Millions of Screens, we're ecstatic to be joined by Amber Ruffin, whom you, you may know as the eponymous host of The Amber Ruffin Show on Peacock and NBC. Her appearances on Late Night with Seth Meyers, where she also serves as a writer, as well as working on the writing staffs for two of the best comedy shows of the last decade, a Black Lady Sketch Show and Detroiters. That is Millions of Screens approved. Or if you're anything like me, you might know her from her two-person improv set she did with Kevin Sretta on some random Tuesday downstairs. Hello, the Chicago Cap. Yep. Woo! <laughs> on a random Tuesday in 2009. I actually don't know if the year is right. I don't know when when that show was running, but I do remember. 2008. Uh, oh, yay. That was my favorite show. Sorry. Look, I know we're here to talk about the Amber Ruffin yeah, show. Yeah, Let's yeah. just start there. <laughs> Not my favorite. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It is That's favorite. great. Now we know. It's good. Things are getting real. Um, well, Libby, do you want to start way back when? Because well, Libby, you are from uh, a, pl- a great oh, plane yeah. state. And I don't let's know if you go. want to start the interview with with that. Yeah, let's go. Let's let's go back before Chicago. Um, so actually, I was born and raised in South Dakota. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm in I was in Nebraska all the time. I actually have a brother who lives in Omaha. Um, hey. Tell me a little bit about how <laughs> growing up in Nebraska, of all places, uh, how that affected your comic sensibilities. I know that you wrote a book with your sister who still lives in Omaha. So I want to hear all about that and and how your experiences compare and just how it all fed into the Amber Ruffin that we know. Y'all Omaha was exactly what you think. (laughs) It was sloppy, a lot of running around in backyards, which was excellent. Can't be beat. Um, So there was that aspect of it. Like you could get to a farm and hug a cow. If you felt like it, the neighbors around the corner, maybe like, two and a half blocks away had horses. Now, should they have had those horses? No, but did they have four horses? Yes. Um, So like, it was like that, like a a bit of a hodgepodge of stuff. Like there's plenty of um, uh, like, like, like children's activities and stuff, but not like, culture of any kind or like or like culture of the black kind like you'd have to go to church you go to church you got everything you need to be fair i i did see that blake shelton will be starting his next tour in omaha so uh to say that there's not culture (laughs) in some feels like a a bit of an overstatement i dare you to try to get a ticket (laughs) if it comes out tomorrow i dare you i bet that's already sold out oh yeah Absolutely. Love of Blake Shelton. Absolutely. He's the soul of Nebraska, I think. <laughs> Blake Shelton, the soul of Nebraska tour. I love it so much. Amber, in, in researching for Run the Room, uh, and this blows my mind, mostly because it seems like it shouldn't be credible, but the fact that you were the first Black woman to be hired to work on a late night staff in 2014 seems oh. 
mind boggling and insane and incredibly backwards. And I, and I actually watched uh, you an interview you did with the Television Academy where you, they asked you what trends you, you like to see in in television. And you're like, more black people, more diversity. This feels right. Uh, what was it like? Obviously, the process of getting hired, you knew Seth probably through Boom, but like getting hired. And then how different was working on a late night sketch show or late night comedy show rather than like the improv and sketch you were doing in Boom Chicago and, and elsewhere? Dude, so... When we would do Boom Chicago, we would do short form improv, which means like someone would shout out lemon and you'd go, okay, great. Here's a song about lemons. And you would sing a song right then and there about lemons. Or they, I would go, okay, I'm going to pick, pick you up. They give you some pickup lines. Give me an object. They go, lemon. You go, oh, man. Um, uh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> you um, Are you sour? Because y- you just fell from the tree god damn it it's been years fuck i suck at it um <laughs> no i'm there i'm oh, there shit. that would work on me it's fine could you take could you um th- uh take a slurp of this lemon so that you pucker your lips so i could give you a big kiss there we go that's there you go. Yeah, all right there we go we got Nailed it, it. if you're the second one off the back line that one crushes you come you yes. come second off the back line yeah yes but <laughs> Just like you learn when you do short form improv, it doesn't matter if you're ready. You have to say a thing now, you know, because if someone shouts out lemon and you don't have anything, it's too bad. You have to go up and go Ooh, fall from a tree. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you have to you know, to give people time to think of a good one. Um, but because of that, because you always have to be ready and you always have to be uh, uh, providing literal instant punchline. Late night was easy. It, it was easy because you you would get the suggestion of um, Mitch McConnell and then you'd have all day to write jokes and sketches and uh, whatever you want. And it was c- compared compared to doing a short form show it was quite easy. I that whole time was like, man, I'd kill for a minute to think of a and then I got it. In terms of the actual writer's room, like what was the acclimation process like? Like getting getting to work with Seth and 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 the other writers there. Okay, so like this show, Seth Myers is like a, a Montessori class. Like, man, we'd be just at, out to lunch and stuff. Like, we will come in on Monday, pitch a thing, and then on Thursday, we will Right. You know, we'll have a sketch and we'll all read all the sketches we have all written. Now, that's four days. That's a lot. All you need is two things in those four days. So, you know, and if you pitch something and it doesn't get picked, you, you could have a whole week where you do nothing, which is great because you have all that time to write and rewrite your good or bad ideas. Or you already have an idea that you were done with on Monday at noon because that that's how long it could take a person to write a sketch. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, buddy, it's just party time. So it really led to a lot of um, goofing off and throwing like small parties. I have to ask at this point, I have to ask about uh, Pat Your Weave, John. So we like to, <laughs> um, there is this video of us being like, <laughs> we had margaritas now at late night with seth myers we like to have margaritas sometimes because like someone might feel bad so like if we catch wind that someone's feelings hurt we'll have a margarita night 
or um, we are bored or we're about to go into hiatus or literally anything. So one, one uh, margarita night, we turned up some song with a bunch of instructions in it. And, you know, the one of the instructions was dropped down low. Then John Letts is doing his best and he's on it. And then one of the instructions was pet your weave. And he was just, I don't even, he didn't know what those words meant, what that combination of words meant. We were crying, laughing. But yeah, we like to throw a lot of parties. Again, this is not what you asked about. Where did we start? You asked about what the process was like. Oh my God. But it is what the process is like. We dig around quite a bit. Yeah. Like that's, 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 that is the process. And that, that is very insightful because not every writer's room is like that. You wrote, you ended up writing for uh, Sam and Tim and, and Joe Kelly, another uh, Boom Chicago alum on Detroiters. How did that opportunity come about? And, and was there like a favorite moment in the writer's room that just seems like a really great show to, to have the opportunity to work on? Um, I'm starring in Detroiters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the very disturbing ex. It, uh, it was... Um, how did that start? I don't know. Joe Kelly called me and was like, can you do this? And I was like, yeah, they let us do anything on the show. A lot of late night shows won't let you do nothing else. At our show, we can do whatever we want all the time to, to, to everyone's detriment. Um, but I got to write on Detroiters and it was very fun working with Sam and Tim. Sam, I know from Chicago and Tim, I only, you know, have heard tell of he's quite the comedy legend. And Tim works very closely with a guy named Zach Kanan. And the thing about being in that room, it was just Joe Kelly, Tim and Sam and Zach and me. And they would, you know, one week it was me and then another week it was someone else. Um, but the thing about that room is Joe Kelly will go, OK, great. The scene is all done. We fleshed it out. Now, what's the blow? You know, what's the joke that gets us out of the scene? Now, once he says that, you know, you only have seven seconds. And this is true. It happened multiple times a day all week. You, you only have seven seconds before Zach Kanan says the perfect thing. So either you can wait seven seconds and have contributed nothing, or you can immediately try to say something, not to try to beat him. You're not going to, but to, uh, to feel like you have contributed. So that was to me, like, you know, you separate, you go, you write your episode, but being in the room to me was that I was like, I could sit here silent and we'll get just as much done, if not more. <laughs> but, but I, I really had to be like, I didn't want them to think, oh, I'm here for no reason because button boy, Zach came in. Whoa, buddy. Everything he said was excellent. Yeah. I'll never forget that. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, uh, you, you also, after working for Seth at late night, had the opportunity to then, uh, write for the award shows that he was hosting. And that seems like it must be somewhat similar to the late night structure. You probably have all these topics and you're just like submitting jokes, but is there, is there a little more, I don't know, pressure because it's this award show. It has a, a more, more lift. Um, or is it, uh, you know, you're, you're worried more about, you know, whatever the ratings are uh, in terms of like, this might be a little risque. Maybe we have to tone this down. Yeah, there was definitely some of that because we're wild, but, you know, you can't get too wild at, at an award show. But what we would do is, OK, so 
at Late Night Seth, there's a team of monologue writers who write all day, every day. They do actual work. And then there's the rest of us, the sketch writers, who do fuck all. I mean, <laughs> we, we write tons of sketches all the time, but we don't have like four um, deadlines every day. The thought of it is ridiculous. I could come up with an idea and be like... In two days, I'll have this one sketch done. And that's thought of as like good, good, good work, you know, a normal, normal way to behave. So freaking we got to, uh, it was the Emmys first or the Golden Globes first, the Emmys first. And then they get, we all have to write monologue jokes. And I was like, (laughs) so we uh, did it and it turned out fine, but you know, you fly out there for days and you're out there. It's the freaking best. They put you up at the nicest place I've ever seen in my life. I think it's like the Pretty Woman Hotel. Um, and then you write and you write for days and days. And I got a couple of things on. But another option is you go out there for days and days and you get nothing on. And you, you technically done nothing. Like shows and shows go by where I haven't touched it. And that's fine for me but no one flew me out here to the office to you know what I mean so that was crazy it was crazy but it was nice to try something new you know and award show stuff is very fun to write it is very fun it's like corporate weird it is a lot like improv short form improv because you have to say this product and you have to you know it has to be Harrison Ford but it can't be a plain joke you know it it it, it it's great it's a, there are a lot of requirements for your jokes at school feels a little like short form at the at the risk of of uh you might be underselling the work of a comedy writer i just think that like attrition attrition is going to be a part of any sort of comedy gig like it's it, the idea that like you have to write a lot of jokes and a lot of those jokes are going to kill. This has no bearing on whether or not you are a good joke writer. It's just to put the strongest show up, you know, you know, the, the cream rises as it as it were. Yes, absolutely. And that's I mean, definitely there is a huge difference between four deadlines and zero deadlines. <laughs> That's that's where I'm coming from. Like, if you go out to the award show and you don't get any drugs, who cares? You still got paid. Fuck it. But the, I do think there is a difference between four deadlines a day and two deadlines a week is a big difference. Yeah. Let me let me pivot a little bit because uh, I I love your show. Uh, I I love um, Z-Way show and I know Sam J's show is coming out on the 21st. Um, have we solved representation issues on late night television? No, I guess was my question. Oh, great question. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no way. I mean, it's nice to see funny black women getting an opportunity to be funny in this in this venue. I mean, we are rich and it feels cool as hell. Like I, during the pandemic, I was like, you know what? If I wanted to, I could only watch shows with black people in them. And I can remember not having one. So I'm just like, wow. So now, especially if you're a comedy child, 
you know, I love comedy. I love late night. I personally feel very, very rich. Like there's nothing I want to do more than watch TV. And it's my favorite thing to do. If I'm honest, I love it. Um, but uh, the fact that there are all of these shows led by black women is nuts. And, you know, we are all on the same freaking text chain. It's the best. And it's all like it's not even, you know, so it's cool because it's black women, but it's also like my little buds, you know, it's really neat. Well, yeah. There's actually another there's another show that I love. Um, it's relatively new. It's called The Amber Ruffin Show. And uh, you're amazing. But tell me this, because it really freaks me out. And I, I think it's probably just me. But how? how no audience like it feels kind of like the antithesis of of improv like like how do you gauge when things are hitting and um how do you get over is that is it a mental block because it's a mental block for me like just conceptualizing it no man no you imagine the audience laughing that's it that's all i do after after every joke you can hear me be like if, if you if you after I tell every joke, if you add in uproarious laughter, you can hear me being like, all right. All right. In my tone at the beginning of the next joke, <laughs> because in my mind, that's what's happening. We got to We got to keep we got to keep the show going. We got it. Can't sit down. Sit down. We got more show to get to. <laughs> it's OK. Yeah. But it doesn't feel I will also say I have a very bad memory. So I'm like, how did it used to be? I, it's been a year. I don't really remember. Was it fun? Was it scary? How was it? What's going to happen when it starts back up again? Will I be able to do it? Will it be too much of a distraction? Can I see their faces? Oh. Can they see me? What? <laughs> Tell them this people see me. I might be extending the metaphor far too, too far, Almost but certainly. yeah, in, in terms of uh, the cream rising, uh, you, you might have the most Chicago writing staff on late night right now. I mean, I, I don't know if that's verified, but with uh, Shantira, Dwayne, uh, Ashley, Nicole, Pat, Patrick, and Jenny, that whole staff made up of Chicago people. What was it like putting together? I assume you and Jenny collaborated on putting together that writer's room and being in the driver's seat, seat as it were, to assemble your own writer's room after being in Seth for so long. Freaking coolest. We were like, let's see if we can get Dwayne and Shantira, who we know and love and have performed with. And we did. And it shocked my butt off. Then I was like, well, let's um, also see if we can get Demi out of Juive. And we got him too. And so it was exactly what we thought it would be. It was like, a fun, fun party with a lot of feelings. It was the freaking best. And then for, I guess not season two, but this group of, you know, how weird streaming stuff is for this chunk. Yeah. The second chunk. Uh, um, they had uh, with Dwayne and Shantira took other jobs. We replaced them with Patrick and uh, Corinne, Patrick Roland from Chicago and Corinne Wells, who is a um, New York City improv guy. And also we have Ashley Nicole Black um, writing freelance for us. 
which is great. Like, absolutely. Nicole Black is my true little friend. So I was like, do you have time to be doing this? And she was like, yes, I think I can do it. do you have anything about this she's like yes i could do that the the chicago roots run deep and it was just fantastic to see all these people that like i i recognize and know getting staffed and and get their names out there and and i i have to imagine uh most of that stuff is being done remotely i'm guessing yes no one is here um but are you excited for the day when you can assemble a writer's room in person and and what will that what will that be like i want to have them here now it's nice though and they're getting the short end of the stick because when you're here and you give me a script i go oh okay so what you want to do is you want to take this top and cut it in half you don't need this sentence or this sentence and then you um take this whole gear up to the first beat out and you move up the first beat which is you know the first thing you really learn when you start doing late night and did not have it, it, it's just sticks and you learn it forever so fast. If I took your script out of your hand and I went bapu beep, and then when you type it, I'm not there saying it, you know, it's just, it's different. It's different. But maybe there are some pluses that I have yet to find. But how does it, does it feel different to be in charge? Like for it to be your show and your name on the marquee? Yes, it's nuts. The other day, they put, there's this little square thing outside the front of um, work, out front of 30 Rock. Yeah. And it says, Rockefeller Center, home of SNL, Jimmy Fallon, and Seth Meyers. And then it has said that this whole seven years since Seth Meyers started. And I'd walk by it and be like, ooh, this is cool. And now it says, SNL, Fallon, Seth and the Amber Ruffin show. Uh, I walk past it every day. I'm like, I can't believe it. I can't believe we're getting away with this. I love it. Are you excited to officially kick Seth out of his studio at some point? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It is really nice, though, to have. It's just all the same people working one extra day. And that's cool. Like it's all the people I've known these people for seven years at this point. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But today it's like a really long Amber says what? And they're like, great. <laughs> My time to shine. Well, let me let me squeeze this in while while we're on that subject a little bit. Why won't Seth cut his hair? Um, he cut it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, trim for maintenance is uh... I mean, it was in a place that was quite raggedy quite raggedy and now he cut it and it's it's less raggedy and i should have been more specific yeah i i get i mean you know he'll get there i hope like i I hope i want that for him um i guess i I don't know, but it, it we all want it. that for him, but he is on a journey. He has to get there himself. Like no one can, you, no one can do it for you, I guess. Um, so last night was the 40th edition of jokes. Seth can't tell, Yay. Uh, which is an incredible. It like, obviously it goes without saying it's one of my favorite segments on the, on the show. Um, Tell us a little bit about how that has developed over time. And as a backup question, um, you talk about, there was a joke about Black Superman last night. 
having two other jobs. How many jobs do you have right now, Amber? Uh, that's my follow-up. Right now, I work on the Amber Ruffin Show and Late Night with Seth Meyers. That's the two. And I, because I finished my book. Yes. It, there it is. Hi. Um, and I am almost done writing Some Like It Hot, the musical. So that's back to three. Now we're back to three. And then we're also starting to work on The Wiz. So it's, go- it's three and a half, buddy. What are we doing? That's a lot when you say them all at once. Um, Especially when some of, the, some of those jobs, some of those jobs have two components, like writing and performing. Don't think posing. Yeah. Yay! Um, that's the fun part. Uh, it's all fun. Um, jokes that can't tell is so like its own thing now. We send out an email going, hey, send us jokes Seth can't tell. Here are the setups, you know, and we pick our own setups and we email them to the writers at late night. And then everyone sends us jokes. It, it's and then we pick five jokes we like and then Seth may kill one and then we pick two for Seth. And lots of times he'll say both of them. It is so at, at the beginning, I was like, how are we going to do this? this is impossible. And now it is the, we could do one in an hour. We could do it. It's so, you get so used to it because it is so, again, it's very specific. It can only be these few things. So it, there's a lot of freedom in that restriction to really bend it. Amber, I don't, I don't think we want to take up any more of your time. No. You obviously have three and a half jobs. Thank you so much for, yes. for spending time with millions of screens. And we love uh, you so much. Yay, yeah. I love you. Your, your oeuvre of work is like in our wheelhouse completely. Oh, good. No. It's just the three of us, you guys. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's a lot of us. We're all doing a very good job. That's true. Thank yeah. you so much for joining us. We'll let you get back to work on or drinking. It really could go either way. Maybe it's yeah. Margarita Wednesday. Me drinking? One <laughs> second after show. I press leave on the Zoom meeting? I, like, oh, I don't dear. know what's in your cup like i uh, we've had interviews like that too i'm gonna i'm gonna have all this <laughs> you deserve it I oh a little grand marnier oh you do you do make margaritas yes i do <laughs> gotta have that grandma and this is with no alcohol <laughs> <laughs> i love it that's love this it. behavior unbelievable that's amazing thank you amber bye you guys thanks bye. a lot for having me yes. thank you so much bye And we're back. Yay. We're back to discuss my murder power rankings for week six. Uh, I should look up. I got to remember to do this every week. Got to look up the the mayor uh, summary of the episode. It was a good episode of TV. It was the episode. They had sent out five screeners to so th- this uh, critics. Is, so this is as far as you, as you had seen, have right. seen. And it was the one that made me think, holy shit, I have to see the next episode of this show. I, I do remember you saying that episode five was the one that, that really locked you in to yeah. being on board. The title of the episode was Illusions. Uh, some people uh, brought brought to brought up to HBO that the HBO Max logo was placed right over Evan Peters' forehead in the screen grab for the for the episode. Uh, so if you were on HBO Max on waiting to, to load Illusions, there's an HBO Max logo right right on Evan Peters' forehead. 
um, which I think came to play uh, later uh, <laughs> toward the climax of the episode. God, it's but, like a fucking bullseye. But here's here's the summary. In her mandated therapy, Mare opens up about her family's history with mental health struggles. Meanwhile, Lori tries to get to the bottom of her son's outburst at school. And later, Mare meets with a semi-retired source to help find a possible connection to her thir- her three cases. Yeah. Sounds like uh, a pretty low-key episode. Low-key episode, uh, despite the fact that the last 10 minutes was Silence of the Lamps. <laughs> Essentially. It was amazing. I and, loved it. And, and, it's and so, so good. Uh, very stressful. I I think uh, we can say there's... We, we, should, we haven't been doing any spoilers, but we should be talking about spoilers. Boy, was that kidnapper a crack shot. Right... Holy. Right between the eyes. Good night, Colin Zabel. Our, our sweet we, prince. We hardly knew you. You were you were too pure for this world. For you were too pure for Easttown, um, which might be true. That might that might. <laughs> no, I mean that's legit. Legit might be the reasoning is the fact that if you are a good person in Easttown, you survive, and if you are a or sorry, swap that. If you're a good person in Easttown, you cannot survive. If you're a bad person, especially a bad man, it seems like. You can continue to exist. Yeah. It's very important that uh, that Siobhan gets the fuck out of town as soon as possible uh, before she becomes corrupted by uh, literally whatever is going on in this hell town. Yeah. Go to um, California. Go to go to go to media. Go to that, that media school in California. Yeah. Just get the fuck out. Go to Berkeley. Get, it's fine. It's great. Get just out of Dodge. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, the show ended on a on a on a very down note with uh, my number one. Potential murder suspect, Colin Zabel, taking one in the forehead. I Here's what I'll stand by. I was right about the fact that he didn't solve that murder. You were. I was right about that. I, I had, I had I correctly... I was very impressed with that. I'd correctly assessed from just Evan Peters' general being that he is not a good cop. And I don't mean that in an ACAB way. I mean that in a... He's not good at, at the detective aspect of being a cop. No. Um, and so when... He revealed that it was not surprising, but it also showed it sort of uh, it foreshadowed that he might not make it through this ordeal when Mayor has to kind of coach him through. I don't have a gun. Can you please get your gun ready? I feel this guy is bad. So I think all those all those like little things led to like he is not going to make it. He cannot make it. Um, and he did not make it. No, he didn't. This is the absolute the saddest I've ever been at. The loss of an Evan Peters character, which is, I think, a huge testament to his work in this series. Uh, I think he's been great. I had never really taken him for the sort of doe-eyed um, do-gooder, yeah. uh, but I really liked it. I, I, I think it's, it's really, it's really great, I, and it, it's, it's really interesting to see him play in those waters. And I think, from what I heard about on the set, or I, there was a or what I've seen around, like, he had trouble with it. Like, like he was afraid he couldn't get the emotion there. And I think that's what happens when you are set, when you're used to playing these larger-than-life characters, these uh, Ryan Murphy characters, um, that being asked to do something real and earnest and empathetic is is a very particular challenge. But I think he nailed it. And, and I wish he would do more of this yeah i guess Vul- vulnerability i think is hard to convey 
especially in a in an enterprise or like a industry where in order to make it to a certain level, you kind of can't show any vulnerability. You have right. to you have to have this bravado and this ego, and then to like shed that off in in uh, through acting is difficult. Uh, and I think he did it. I mean, I did not see the kiss coming, and that was surprising on a bunch of levels. And I think made what happened after all all the sadder. Uh, if you had told me, she didn't me, seem mad about it. Like, no. She thought about it for a second. She's like, what is that life like? What is my life with Collins Abel? It was very much the uh, Alonzo Morning GIF. Yeah. My favorite. My favorite GIF just the. But we've been, the preamble has gone on too long, Libby. It's time for the murder power rankings. Okay. And number five, this is kind of surprising. Collins Abel. Okay, we don't, we don't know for a fact that he's dead. We don't know for a fact that he's dead. He only got shot in the head. We, that's all that happened. We don't know he's dead. We he, we were not. There's no coroner that's pronounced him dead. He can come back and and say that he killed the girl. Uh, you know, like it, I've said from the jump that the Aaron McMenamin's cl- killer is different than the the kidnapping. So like he could have done the killing. He he struggles for dates. It definitely could have been a thing that he did. All right, number four. It's the elephant in the room. In all the betting pools, he's high because he has to be. It's Richard Ryan, Guy Pierce's character. He's just too big a name in a show like this to discount completely. That's just the way murder shows like this work. If you are a cast, if you're if you're two or three on the call sheet, even if as far away as you might seem from the, the murder, you're, you might be the murderer. Like he literally didn't appear in this episode, right? Uh, he's not in this episode. Okay. It's good that he's still in your heart, though. Yeah, he he appeared in the scenes from the upcoming weeks in two weeks ago's episode with a, a basket full of, like, Philly favorites. Yeah, number three, rejoining the rankings since from the, for the first time since week one, Dylan Hinchy. What? What's he up to? Why is he burning the journals? He's yelling at people. He's definitely throwing out some very you know, sinister vibes throughout the episode. That kid Uh, fucking sucks. Yeah. Very shitty kid. Uh, Also, apparently he's a superhero of some kind because he has healed from his back gunshot wounds incredibly quickly. Up and about. Doing doing normal business. um, Breaking into houses and uh, setting fire to evidence that could be very helpful to Mare. Breaking up his girl with his girlfriend. Yeah, breaking up with his girlfriend who beat the shit out of uh, Aaron, Aaron the night that she was killed. And then running at two and one, I'm going to link these kind of together. Number two is cousin of the dad of the girl who was murdered. That's Billy. Billy. Billy, who got his, Billy. got his spotlight episode, or at least a spotlight in this episode, when getting very antsy talking about how long Aaron might have stayed with him for a certain period of time when Kenny was drinking. It definitely seems like uh, great. yeah. I I know I know Mare eyed that bottle of Rolling Rock pretty hard. Hopefully she grabbed it, sent it off to the lab, and we'll have results next week as to who the father might be. Um, I feel like we would have gotten in. I feel like we would have gotten a in, little insight into that, but it's a it's a good. I think it's a good impulse. I think. Uh, I mean, she'll theoretically have plenty of opportunity moving forward to do such. Uh, yeah, it's the scenes from next week imply that she's back back on the case, so she can she can get access to whatever uh, DNA sampling uh, needs to be gotten gotten access to. And, and number one, I think this is 
wasn't on a lot of people's list, but he's been around since the beginning. John Ross, Lori's husband, and cousin to both Billy and Kenny, I think, unless he's brother to Billy and cousin to Kenny. I don't know if there's three cousins. Yes. There are, there, well, I mean, they're all cousins. I, yes. I mean, John and Billy are brothers. John and Billy are brothers. Okay. And their cousin is Kenny. So, um, Aaron was not their niece. It was a cousin. Tw- a second cousin. Once removed. I think, second I think cousin. It's your, se- yeah. your second cousin. Yeah. Right. Um, but raised definitely as like a niece. Yes, I but think. this this was a bad episode for John. Sh- showcased uh, telling his son to keep quiet about a secret, uh, which then later comes out as he is uh, cheating on Lori with with the same woman as before. This mysterious uh, affair that has been going on, and then he sort of sin- like menacing as he leaves uh, the house after being thrown out to his son. I'm I don't have a good motive. For why unless it is to protect his brother in some way or who knows bad men i can't think the way some of these bad men think so i don't know why he would have sought to kill aaron unless it was to protect his brother or family name in some way to be like you can't go public with with this it was a rough episode for the the ross family there is a lot of for for as much as i think how the episode ended pulled focus towards towards all of that there was a lot of shit happening within the rosses and um yeah i don't know i i think you're i think that makes sense yeah it was it was definitely a tough episode for the rosses when the son started beating up that bully with the lunch tray for picking on his sister i was rooting for him to do more damage to the bully oh yeah probably uh and so when he got in trouble i was like what is he in trouble for Mm. was there no other was there no other adult in the cafeteria just the one. Crazy that he's he's the kid that gets sent home, but maybe that's just a lesson for life. Yeah, right. Like how 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 did an adult not step into that situation before it escalated to violence? Like they're just gonna let people whip food. It, uh, that's what's wrong with America's educational system. <laughs> More adults in the cafeteria. Millions of Screens is a production of Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video, Bjork Talking About TV and Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson. Our publisher is James Israel. And our executive editor is Anne Donahue. Some of our favorite Late Night with Seth Meyers segments include A Closer Look, Jokes Seth Can't Say, and I think this is newer, Corrections. We still miss the sea captain from Seth's parents' house and Ethan Hawke from his attic crawlspace. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens at Midwest Spitfire, Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So leave a review and let us know what you think. This is Leo and Libby. Speaking for Ben, remind you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs> Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.